When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the We Are podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. I'm 49 years old. I've been covering college football for close to 20 years. Been a football fan, college and pro, for pretty much my whole life. The best physical specimen I have seen up close and personal in covering college football. The answer has always been easy to me. It is Saquon Barkley. Watching what he did at Penn State, uh, 2016 through 2017, what Saquon is able to do physically uh, just the sheer gifts that he possesses. Uh, pretty amazing, obviously. I'm not telling anybody anything that you don't already know. But I'm also going to sit here today and say that the New York Giants should not pay Saquon Barkley a long-term contract with a whole bunch of guaranteed money. Because the running back situation in the NFL is a gigantic mess. And quite frankly, you just simply cannot pay, overpay, overdraft running backs, which is something I wrote during the week. Now, we're going to try to reconcile this here a little bit, because if you're a huge Penn State fan, there's no doubt that you have great appreciation for Saquon Barkley's talents. If you followed Saquon in the NFL, he had a great year last year, got the Giants to the playoffs. He is just an elite physical specimen. And your your nature as a fan is to say, hey, give the guy money. He's the face of the franchise, cannot win without Saquon Barkley, so on and so forth. But that's just not the way the NFL operates with running backs. And I am a big believer In all of this stuff that I am saying, I thought it was a gigantic mistake that the Giants drafted Saquon Barkley where they did. Number two overall uh, draft pick. I thought that was a gigantic mistake. I'm, I'm actually of the belief and there, there can be some, by the way, that was the 2018 draft. There can be some, uh, I guess, give or take with what I'm about to say by and large. I do not believe you should even draft a running back in the first round, period. Now, if you're a Steelers fan listening to this, they drafted Najee Harris in the first round a couple years ago. Uh, number 22 overall. I don't even believe that they they should have done that. I don't, I don't believe you should take a running back that high in the draft. Now, if you have a very, very specific need 
uh, what Najee was a 24th pick in 2020. If you have a very, very specific need uh, and a lot of other components on your team are set, you know, and, and there's one perfect guy for your situation. And there are Steelers fans who have actually thought that maybe Najee might have been that guy. And Najee's done a, a nice job for the Steelers, but you can definitely make the case. He's got back-to-back thousand yards rushing. You can definitely make the case. Well, what if the Steelers had gone somewhere else? Okay, because the, the the issue with drafting a running back very high is obviously that it's a gigantic gamble. Well, Saquon Barkley was hurt, had to miss a lot of time with the Giants, came back last year, did very well. The, the, the question I'm asking is not how good of a football player is Saquon Barkley. The question I'm asking is not how good of a football player is Nashi Harris. What I'm pointing out is, can you afford to pay a running back the kind of gargantuan salary on that second contract when you have to fill dozens of other spots on your roster? And the answer is no. If you don't believe, if you don't agree with me, then you quite honestly, you just don't understand the current state of the NFL roster and contract management and what these teams have to go through in terms of building an overall team. I I want to, uh, I want to read a, a tremendous tweet from what uh, I saw about Saquon. There, look, there's Saquon discussions been all over the internet, but this is from ESPN NFL uh, draft analyst Matt Miller. He says, been saying it for years. Number one, draft a running back. Number two, play the running back. If he's good, three, franchise tag the running back one time. And then number one, draft a running back. That's where we are with Saquon Barkley. That's where we're going to be more likely than not with a bunch of running backs coming up in the future. That's what the franchise tag allows NFL teams. And I'm not going to get too deep into all the contractual issues in the NFL, but that's exact. That's absolutely one of the benefits of the franchise tag in the NFL to be able to use it on running backs when they are at your disposal as a team. Is this fair to running backs? No. Look, none of this is fair to running backs, okay? I I, I get this. I, I understand where Sa- Saquon Barkley is coming from. I understand where all these running backs are coming from that are going to be up for contracts, you know, second contracts in, in the future. They're busting their rears on every play. They're they're putting their, they're throwing their bodies uh, to the wolves and getting pummeled left and right. You know, the running back position in the NFL can be a a thankless position uh, on most carries. Yes, you'll get the big the big carry every now and then, the highlight reel carry. But most for the most part, you're just pounding yourself uh, into gigantic men going very fast. They're doing a beat, taking your body's taking a beating uh, time after time after time. I get it. I, I totally understand that. But the way the NFL operates nowadays as a passing league, you know, you just cannot, these, these teams cannot, and, and quite frankly, they will not risk their futures two, three, and four years from now by overpaying for running backs whose purpose is to get their bodies beaten up. And a byproduct of that is they become they get injured, they become less and less and less productive over time. Obviously, if you're listening to this and you're a Steelers fan, 
Le'Veon Bell, Bell set out the 2018 season for the Steelers. They refused to pay him what he wanted. He set out, was never the same running back, was just never the same. Had, had a couple years left in him after signing what I think he signed a $52 million contract for four years with $35 million guaranteed. That contract ended up being, being bad. Played two years, had injuries, didn't perform well. And that's the worry with a running back. So if you're a Penn State fan and you love what Saquon did for Penn State and you know that he's the face of one of the faces of the NFL and you know he's one of the most popular players in the NFL and a, just a tremendous all around guy and everything. He, he represents everything good about a professional athlete, or at least he kind of did until he had it when it went on the offensive a little bit this past week saying, uh, talking about his leverage, saying he could say F you to the Giants, F it, and, and walk away and sit for a season. I don't think I don't think that was a good PR move for Saquon Barkley. Maybe you disagree. Maybe you think it was a good move. These teams are not going to be intimidated into um, giving running backs a whole lot more money just because of the threat of they're going to sit out a year. I just don't believe that. Now, maybe Saquon could be an exception. I'm not sitting here saying that the Giants have already made their decision that they won't blink at all and they'll let Saquon sit out a year. Uh, we've got a, we've got several weeks left for this the whole thing to play out. Maybe in this particular case, they're, 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 the Giants could find enough value in Saquon to work out something a little bit better than the franchise tag. Maybe not as much. Who knows exactly how it's going to work out? I'm just saying I don't believe they should. And, and in the overwhelming majority of running back situations, I don't believe the team should. I'll go back to this quote again. Draft a running back. Play him, pound the hell out of his body. Get as much use as you can out of him. You can franchise tag him one time, and then again, you can draft somebody else or go sign somebody else. That's from Matt Miller, uh, ESPN NFL drafted. I thought that was a good way to say. It. Now, running backs, I'm I'm guessing are are really going to be frustrated with the whole franchise tag thing and, and try to seek changes to that in the future. Uh, and again, some of you may completely disagree with me uh, altogether. You might be an older fan who tremendously values the running back. You grew up with Franco or you grew up with Tony Dorsett and the Cowboys or you grew up with Emmitt Smith or, or what, whoever you might, Barry Sanders, whoever you might have grown up with. But the bottom line is that's not how football's played anymore. A- at the NFL level, really even the college level as much anymore. That's not how football is played anymore. When you have so many positions, Left tackles require an enormous amount of money. Quarterbacks require an enormous amount of money. One way, uh, potentially around this again, I'm not going to dive too deep into the rabbit hole. You could separate the quarterback salary from the rest of the salary cap. I've heard mention of that, suggestion of that over the recent years. Because as these quarterbacks start making all 40 and $50 million, like some of them are, are getting, hey, to, to try to fit everybody into that salary cap is very, very difficult. But the way things currently are, should the Giants re-sign Saquon Barkley? Should any NFL team re-sign a running back to a long-term deal with a whole bunch of guaranteed money? The answer, it's easy. It's no. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, welcome back. Uh, Two quick points I wanted to make to wrap up that running back discussion before I get to a really good recruiting discussion here in just a second. One, the last guy to lead the NFL in rushing and his team won the Super Bowl, Terrell Davis, Broncos, 1998. Last guy to get to a Super Bowl after leading the NFL in rushing, Sean Alexander, Seahawks against the Steelers, 05. It's been 18 years, okay? So you can have a really good team and not have a tremendous running back. We've seen it with the Patriots winning Super Bowls without, you know, necessarily big name running backs or, or, or tremendous running backs. Second point I want to make, and the Steelers have done this forever. You don't make a mistake when you're negotiating contracts for, for overpaying guys for what they've done in the past. You pay guys for what you think they're going to do in the future. And, and that's, that's the issue here with the running back contract situation. So you don't, you don't just over, uh, overly reward somebody for what he did the last three, four, five years. Yeah. You take it into account, but you have to understand what you're going to get in value from that guy for the next three, four, five years. And that's where your contract uh, situation comes from. So that's the issue with running backs. All right. So I want to move on. Here's a, a, a really interesting recruiting discussion. I've talked about this a good bit on my uh, local radio shows in central PA for a lot of years. How much recruiting coverage do fans want versus how much should be appropriate um, in terms of overselling and oversaturating and creating a sense of entitlement for high school football players, I want to dive into this here for a few minutes. I will flat out tell you, I have always thought that it's kind of icky that there is so much unbelievable attention nowadays in recruiting paid to high school kids. Yes, the word I use is icky. Um, I, I've never been overly comfortable with 15, 16, 17-year-old kids being treated like superstars and their names all over the internet and fans uh, reaching out and being able to talk to them and discuss them on social media and all 15, 16, 17-year-old kids. You got eighth graders right now that are getting offered scholarships uh, occasionally ninth graders getting offered scholarships. That's happening a lot. These are really young people. You know, I, I want to tell you a real quick story. My first full season covering Penn State football is 2006. And the very first time I met Joe Paterno up close and personal was on national signing day, February, I think it's February, yeah, 2006. Went up uh, to the football facilities back then. This is 2006. This is only 17 years ago. There was not a tremendous amount of 
uh, of attention paid on National Signing Day. Uh, rarely would, you know, did, did Penn State ever do anything big, but on this particular day, Joe came out and met a handful of media members. There might have been 10 or 12 of us there. And he had a whole bunch of Pacifico bread. If you're from Central PA, you know what Pacifico bread is. He had these like foot long, 18 inch long, uh, loaves of Pacifico bread. I have no idea why. So the very first time I ever met Joe Paterno, he's carrying four or five giant loaves of Pacifico bread and he hands me one. And, uh, Jeff Nelson from, Penn State Athletics at the time said, uh, here's Corey Geiger. He's going to be taking over the beat coverage from Neil Riddell on a day-to-day basis. The Altoona Mirror Joe says, hey, you want some bread? <laughs> that's, that's my first time meeting Joe Paterno. Signing day, uh, very informal. You know, Joe shows up, talks for a, a few minutes about some recruits. And that's the way things used to be. And my goodness, 10, 15, 20, 30 years before that, how little attention was paid on uh, to recruiting. I mean, it's, it's comical to think about what, what recruiting coverage was like even 20 years ago compared to what it is now. Now, before I get too deep into this, in no way am I criticizing any of the recruiting reporters. Some of the best reporters uh, on the Penn State beat are some of these guys that work for recruiting based sites or traditionally recruiting based sites. They do tremendous work, tremendous work. They're insiders. They have great information about, about what's going on in the program and they do great work themselves. I just feel icky about it. I've always felt icky about quite frankly, uh, writing and, and, and writing too many stories, too much in-depth analysis about high school kids and then throwing those kids names out there and letting them, you know, there's a feeding frenzy among fans for these high school, uh, high school kids to come to, to come to your school, come to, come to my school, come to my school, come to my school. Now the dilemma here is that these recruiting websites are tremendously successful, tremendously successful in life. There is supply and demand. You have to give people what they want to, in order to have a successful business. I am very much aware, fully aware that college football fans want an enormous amount of recruiting. You do. Most of you do. You want to see as much information as you can get. That's how these sites were built. And a lot of them have had phenomenal success and they have great business models. Their owners are uh, very wealthy people and, and the journalists who do this have a whole bunch of job security. Why? Because there are a lot of fans out there that want to know every single thing they can possibly know about every prospect who might come to their school. And I still feel icky about it. Okay. This is the old man in me kind of yelling at the clouds, I guess, especially to a lot of younger people who maybe live and breathe with the, the recruiting coverage. I've just never been overly comfortable with it. Um, and it's just, I, again, we're talking about in many cases, 15, 16, 17 year old kids. Our desire is insatiable as sports fans to, to, to want to know about and talk about and think about who's next, who's next, who's next for our 
college football program, these high school recruits. Who's next for our NFL program? So we're going to look at college football players now and the draft. Who's next for your baseball team? So you spend a lot of money on or spend a lot of time on minor league prospects. Now, look, I, I'm not trying to be hypocritical here. I, I have covered minor league baseball for close to 30 years and I've written thousands and thousands of stories on minor league prospects who may or may not end up succeeding in the big leagues. And most of them did not. Okay. So is there, is there a, a, a true difference between what I've done for most of my career in talking and writing a lot about minor league prospects compared to high school football? Well, to me, the big difference is, I'm not doing it on 15, 16, 17 year old kids. I, I wait until they become professionals. Most of my career has been at the double A level. So I'm writing about folks, uh, 98% of them have been 21, 22 and older. They're professional athletes. They're getting paid. Yeah. Kind of paltry sums at times. And they're not playing in front of a hundred thousand people, you know, in minor league stadiums, but they're, they're at least older people. Many have gone to college or been out of college. They're, pro- they are professional athletes. And so that's long been, in my mind, the differentiation between, you know, say a minor league prospect and a high school prospect. But I'm I'm not clueless. I know that many people want as much recruiting coverage as you can possibly get. I I guess in wrapping this up from my perspective, I'm kind of fortunate that the places I've covered Penn State for the Altoona Mirror for a long time. Nittany Sports now, now for DK Pittsburgh Sports, are not places that have always stressed that I end up doing tons and tons and tons of recruiting coverage. I'm thankful for it. I would not, I would not have done it. I, I just wouldn't have. I would have soured on co- covering college football a long, long time ago if I had to write, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of in-depth profile stories on high school kids coming into. I, I, it's not what I enjoy. I do think that it creates a sense of entitlement for a lot of these high school athletes that that think that they're superstars at 16 or 17 and they're wanted by everyone in the world. And then you get to college and you have to de-recruit them, which is something that is a real thing. Uh, these guys that have been told how great they are since sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And, uh, they get to college and now you got to be part of a team and whoever you were in high school and whatever you did in high school, it doesn't matter anymore now because everybody, everybody at the collegiate level pretty much is as good as you. And so I, I think we've created kind of a monster from that standpoint uh, and, and trying to rein that back in. So again, many, many of you listen to me may completely disagree. You want every single bit of recruiting coverage that you can possibly find. And you know what? Uh, there are places out there on the internet you can find all of those things. My thing has always been game analysis, player analysis. Once guys get into the program, then to me, uh, we can analyze them all up and down. Drew Aller, for instance, uh, you know, he's never, never thrown, never, uh, started a game in college and, and we're, completely over analyzing every single thing about him. Well, hey, he's already there. He's he's what I don't know if he's 19 or 20 at this age, but he's he's already there. So I, I see a d- tremendous difference in my own mind anyway between Drew Aller as a 15, 16 year old kid versus when he's already in college. But look, I know that there is a tremendous appetite for recruiting coverage for some fans and you know, if you're one of those folks, you know where to go find that information. We try to have the basic information here. If somebody is signed, I tell you where they go to school, you know, their height, weight, uh, 
other schools that were offering him. And I kind of tr- really just kind of leave it at that for the most part, unless somebody has a really, really interesting story that you can dive into. So uh, just wanted to touch on that here is Penn State's recruiting is going great. They've got 23 commits and number seven in the country doing very, very well. And I just always go back and think about that first meeting with Joe Paterno. Hey, you want some bread? <laughs> and, do, and that was signing day. And it was really just such a low-key kind of kind of nothing event compared to where we are nowadays. Welcome to the third and final segment of the We Are podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. I wrote a story a couple days ago uh, at DK Pittsburgh Sports. What if this is Penn State's number one concern? Uh, A lot of people read that so far. Not a lot of comments on it yet, but I talk about the backup quarterback situation behind Drew Aller. Uh, If you haven't read the story, go read it. I'll kind of recap here in, in just a second. Go make some comments on it. Have a good discussion. Basically, the question I'm asking you is, how concerned should we be about the situation after Drew Aller? And I'm talking about, obviously, Bo Prabula, Jackson Smolik, you know, what Penn State's quarterback situation, what might happen if Drew Aller were to get injured or something like that. God forbid, you don't want to see that, but, you know, and I I preface it all in the story by pointing back to uh, Iowa 2021 when Sean Clifford went down, Penn State had that game under control. Number four team in the country would have moved up to number two. And then everything went south. And they finished seven and six because Sean Clifford got hurt, disrupted the whole season, and so on and so forth. We all remember that well. Uh, so to me, when I look at this year's Penn State team and we think about all the possibilities of what this team could potentially achieve, it starts with number 15. Yes, there are many other um, good players on offense and defense. Drew Aller is not going to have to do it all himself. But if we're talking about the highest goals, again, I'm not talking about nine and three here. I'm not talking about nine and three and losing to Michigan, Ohio State. I'm talking about if you want to get to a playoff and you want, you need to beat Ohio State or Michigan, uh, maybe both, but at least one of them, you're going to need Drew Aller to come out and play really, really well. All right. Because you're going to, are you going to be able to do that with a backup quarterback? Probably not. But, Penn State's backup quarterback situation, I think, is particularly uh, perilous. And I wrote this. I, I'm not overly comfortable writing it so much or, or saying it so much about Bo Prabula because we've never really seen Bo play. Um, but from what we think, what we saw in the blue-white game, from what we think, uh, we know we, uh, about Drew Aller, what we think we know about Bo Prabula. There's a massive drop off there. Just a massive drop off. Is that fair to Bo Prabula to just say uh, he's just not going to be anywhere near as good as Drew? Well, maybe it's not fair, but one guy is the most hyped quarterback recruit in Penn State history. And the other guy was a three star recruit who, you know, can do some things, but doesn't seem to have that level of upside. Now, the asterisk I always point out here is Matt McGloin and Trace McSorley. Those guys were not highly recruited guys. When, when there were guys like Paul Jones and Kevin Newsom and Rob Bolden, who were highly recruited guys and who wound up stinking. So I, I'm not, that, that fact is not lost on me, 
Um, so, you know, to try to judge Bo Prabula before we've ever really even seen him. No, that's that's not fair. And I will fully admit that. But when I look at this season and when we take a look at the Penn State roster and the extreme high level goals of what this team has, got to keep number 15 healthy, man. Got to keep him on the field. He's got to play well because the situation behind him, uh, Bo is, is a redshirt freshman, never played. Jackson Smolik is a true freshman, never played. You're not beating Ohio State and Michigan with these guys. You're not getting to a playoff with these guys. You're just not. Can Penn State conceivably make a playoff this year? Absolutely. The pieces are in place on both sides of the ball. You maybe have the best left tackle in all of college football. Maybe the best cornerback in all of college football in Kalen King. You got Chop Robinson, a potential first-round pick. You got Drew Aller, who's probably going to be two years and done as long as everything goes well. The, the Nicholas Singleton, Katron Allen, a good offensive line. The best, the fourth best defense in the country, according to Phil Steele, going into the season. The best linebackers, the best defensive line, the best secondary in the Big Ten, according to Phil Steele. Phil Steele. So you you have all these pieces in place, uh, but to me, if something happens to Drew Aller, just like we go back with Sean Clifford a couple of years ago, when something happened to him, the season fell apart. I, I think something similar could happen. So what do they do? Will they have to change the game plan to try to make sure Drew Aller stays healthy? Do not run ever, young man. Well, you know, the Penn State offense is set up. The quarterback's got to take off and run every now and then. Now, Drew is 6'5", 243. He's a mountain of a man. You would think he would be able to take a big hit. But until we see that he can and then get back up from it and continue to play at a high level, until we see it, you know, that is always going to be a concern. Sean Clifford was a tough, tough dude. Trace McSorley, not a huge man. Tough, tough dude. He took so many big hits. So what will the offense be like? What will Mike Yersich do with Drew Allen? You can't just have him stand in the pocket all the time because that's not the most effective way for the Penn State offense to operate. We've seen some huge runs from Trace McSorley and Sean Clifford over the years. Aller's probably going to have to do that every now and then, but it does come with a risk if there is, uh, as we you know, kind of expect, a gigantic drop-off from him to the backup. So uh, go read the story. Uh, I make some other points, and uh, you can comment on there as well. Folks, I appreciate you tuning in to the podcast this week. Some good, hopefully thought-provoking discussions with the running backs and recruiting coverage. Uh, as always, comment on here. Uh, shoot me a message on Twitter or email, text, whatever. Uh, get in touch with me. I love hearing from people uh, throughout the week. Only six weeks to go until the start of the season. Getting very exciting. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. 